Welcome to the Master Slave Lifestyle Podcast. Here we'll interview real people living the real Master Slave lifestyle, all consensual and all in different ways. And in this episode, a slave is always shackles, hooded or collared when in the house. We don't just play for a day and then go our separate ways. This is our life. It is all day, every day. I do with my slave every day in some form. They're not seeing is the trust, the communication, the honesty, and the love that goes on behind the scenes. Trust is one of the biggest things that I think you have to deal with in a master-slave or any TPE relationship. We've done a lot of growing, and we have a lot more growing to do. This is MasterSlaveLifestyle.com Embarking on the master-slave lifestyle is a journey like no other. It's filled with self-discovery, challenges, and moments of profound realization. However, navigating this path can often feel overwhelming. Do any of these sound familiar? Battling shame and self-doubt, uncertainty about needs, seeking safe next steps. What if I told you there was a tangible physical companion that can guide you through these challenges? A journal crafted specifically for those living or exploring the master slave lifestyle. A compass for your personal journey. It's a luxury hardback journal to use for your journey. 12 months of entries you can start at any time. Trendy tools and exercises that guide you every step of the way to find the right life and master and slave for you. And it comes with free delivery. Find out more at masterslavelifestyle.com slash journal. Hello everyone, so today I'm talking with a master who I first came across on Twitter. With what he was doing and saying, I felt an instant affinity for him and his mastery. It's not often I come across a master who understands humiliation in the way that this master does. In fact, the last person was my ex-master. Since then, in his interactions and messages with me, I have found him to be one of those rare, deep master souls who I'm very humbled to speak with today. So may I welcome Leather Phoenix. Uh, Hello, good morning. Good morning, and thank you for that nice introduction. My pleasure. So, um, the first thing, uh, could I ask you to give a quick introduction about yourself? Um, How would you describe yourself to the audience? Uh, I am in my mid fifties and still living the leather lifestyle with my slave. We got together for about sixteen years ago and stayed together. came out very young when I was gay in a very small town, had very minimal access to the leather community. But as I grew, I was finding more and more of it, especially when I moved to Dallas, Texas. And um, that's when I actually started to see the leather community and starting to affiliate myself with it. Of course, I was 18 at the time. But ever since that period, it's been a growing experience. And with my slave, uh, we've done a lot of growing and we have a lot more growing to do. But it's a lifestyle that works very well for us, and we're very happy with it. Uh, We live here in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, We're both professionals. We both hold full-time jobs. We have odd schedules, which sometimes makes it difficult for us to socialize with other people, but uh, we do when we can. And uh, we're looking forward to continue our journey on this path and hopefully be of help to other people and definitely to learn from other people as well. And I, I, I love that. Um, for me, the idea of journey is something that's so important, I think, to the idea of a BDSM relationship. Um, I'd like to come back to some of these um, kind of concepts later. Um, but could you um, describe the um, relationship you have 
at at the moment? Yeah, that's actually an easy question. A lot of people look at us, especially because of the posts that I post, all they see is that one extreme aspect of our relationship. And although that's a very important aspect of our relationship, what they're not seeing is the trust, the communication, the honesty, and the love that goes on behind the scenes. Like I said, we've been together for 16 years, and when we met, I knew immediately that I wanted to possess and own this person. Uh, I felt very protective of it, and we started our relationship as master and slave from the very beginning. And um, we are legally married. We have been for five years. Uh, we did it for domestic benefits as well as just to have that security bond. I'd had a partner years ago who had brain cancer, and I wasn't allowed to see him in the hospital unless I was with a family member. So getting married gave us those rights to one another that if anything were to happen, the other person always had access to the other. So being married has done a lot, a lot for us. And in our relationship, you know, it's like any other relationship. We have our highs and our lows. We have periods of great intensity, which we're in a period of intensity right now. But like everything, when it goes on in high gear, you eventually have to downshift a little bit to refresh and regroup yourself. <clears throat> so we have periods of high protocol and low protocol, but there's always a protocol to be followed in this relationship. And one of the biggest things in this relationship is I do not do anything to my slave that will affect its work life or its health, whether that be physical or mentally. So, you know, taking care of its physical well-being, mental well-being, and even its spiritual well-being is something that I very much try to do my best to make sure that I have adequately taken care of those needs. So we have a very good relationship. And we also, you know, at the end of every night, you know, a lot of people call it aftercare. Um, I do whip my slave every day in some form of, you know, I, I change it up different, different ways. It helps to keep it in its headset. A slave is always shackled, hooded or collared when in the house. And, um, but at the end of the day, we always spend about an hour or an hour and a half. Uh, I'll lay on slave's lap. It'll rub my head or we kind of go low key for a little bit and chat and communicate, maybe watch a TV show. And then I'm off to bed. He works uh, different hours than I do. He works six at night to six in the morning. So that creates a little bit of complications, but we do allow for our time to connect as two human beings. And I have found in doing that, it actually makes it easier for us to pursue the master-slave aspect. Could you tell me a bit more of that? So why um, do you think this, this human connection allows for the master-slave connection to kind of grow um, stronger? Because it allows for intimacy on another level. Uh, when you're in the master-slave and you are following periods of high protocol, it's all based on dominance and submission and trust. And there's always a separation, you know, because we are married, you know, we have emotions that are involved in our relationship as well. But when we are pursuing the master-slave dynamic, slave is always kept at arm's length. There's no emotion there so that I can be an effective master and slave can allow itself to be fully what it wants to express, you know, in a safe environment here at the home. So I don't do any coddling, loving, or kissing when slave is shackled or anything like that. But at the end of the day, 
we get to have that time together and and bond a little bit. So that way I feel it's more well-rounded. We have a little bit of everything because we live together. It's 24 hours a day. You know, if we weren't living together, it's totally different. You know, you go to somebody's house for a weekend, you have an intense session for two or three days, you know, you have a little bit of aftercare and it's over. Well, in this relationship, because we live together, we don't have three or four days together that we do an intense session and then it's over. We have an intense session, you know, every couple of days, but we have a lot of mini sessions throughout many days. So we're constantly in this relationship. There's never really a break from it. So we occasionally will have to have that time to just regroup and refresh and revitalize and re-energize. One of the, the things you were saying through this is this idea of of high and low protocol. Um, for, for people that might not understand what that means, could you give a bit more detail about that and what that means for you in this relationship? Yes. We, 16 years ago, drew up a contract and we abide by that. It's a living contract that we change and amend every year. And in that contract, we go for a year at a time. And at the end of the year, we decide, do we want to continue with this? Uh, what do we want to change about it? And in doing that, part of that contract is about the high protocol and the low protocol. That is determined by the collar that the slave has on. When I put a specific collar on the slave, it knows that at all times that it is to be at its highest form of respect for me. If I walk by the slave in the house and it's coming in my direction, it's to stand off to the side with eyes bowed down, hands behind its back and let me pass. Um, you know, slave has to constantly, you know, yes, master, no master. He has to do that anyways. But everything is very high protocol. And if there's any slip ups, there's always a form of discipline or a repercussion, either a timeout in a corner or a, a swift, severe spank on the ass with a paddle or a longer paddling for breaking those protocols. When we're in lower protocol, I allow for the slave to lighten up a little bit and I lighten up a little bit. Slave still has to refer to me in the terms of respect, still has to do all of its chores that it, that it does. However, I do allow the slave at that time <clears throat> that we can make eye contact and we communicate more freely and more openly with one another. So it's not as stressed a period. So slave doesn't have to quite worry so much about, you know, if there's a minor screw up <clears throat> that it's going to be disciplined uh, because I allow for that space during that time period. So, and that's necessary for the slave as well, because we, we live together. So we have to meet all of our needs, emotional, physical. So we have to be friends as well as masters and slaves and or husbands as well. So we have to nurture all of those aspects with the time that we have. So by allowing for high protocol and low protocol, we can hit all of those areas effectively. So, so, so if if I try and summarize this back back to you, um, what what you have is a way of having high and low intensity throughout the day, but also changing it throughout the week that allows for all of the aspects that a relationship needs to be served. Right. Because, uh, you know, if I've had a really stressful day at work and I'm really exhausted, tired, I, I own my own business, so I, I work a lot. You know, when I get home at night, <clears throat> you know, sometimes I can lock the slave up and throw him in the cage for a while. 
and that's great. That gives me my downtime and my space. Or I'll tie them up and lay them on the bathroom floor and I'll take a nice hot bath and relax and the slave will be in there, you know, waiting as it should be. But no, the high and the low protocol is it's very effective. And we always have the master slave thing going on. Don't misconstrue me. You know, there's never a period that we're not master and slave. There's just periods of the degree of intensity. So like, so you can't go 24 seven, you'll burn out. You know, you, it, we've done that before where we were just high yeah. intensity for long periods of time and it, it becomes physically and mentally exhausting. And plus with age, as we're getting older, you know, there's certain things you can only do for so long. You know, there's some joint issues and you know, back issues and things like that. So you have to have a little bit of wind down time. And when we say exhausting, this is exhausting for both the master and for the slave. It, definitely. It? I mean, it, you know, if you're getting beat all day and you're being tied up in stress positions all day and you're being, you know, forced to be a servant at all times, uh, towards the end of the day, you know, a slave needs a chance to take care of its own personal businesses that I don't attend to. I control every aspect of the slave's life except for its finances. That I allow the slave to do, uh, probably because I'm getting forgetful as I'm getting older. But uh, slave still has to have permission for me to buy anything, unless it has to do with health or groceries, you know, doctor visits, the necessities of life. You know, slave wants to go on Amazon and buy something; it has to have permission first to do so. Um, <clears throat> but in that area, I do control its aspects, but I do not control its bank accounts. I already have six bank accounts of my own for business and personal to keep track of. So keeping track of slaves' finances, it, it, it gets to be a bit much. So I do allow for slave to keep track of its own finances, but I have access to everything of the slaves. I understand. Thank you. And um, at one point you were talking about possessing the slave. and almost right after that you talked about owning and protection um is that something that you see is very tight together that that to own or possess something you also need to protect very much so um in protecting the slave you know i automatically felt a sense of dominance towards it and as something that i wanted to possess and to control and to mold into something to treat treat me the way I wanted to be treated and also to allow it the space to express itself fully. So in doing that, uh, we've created a great deal of trust in ourselves and trust is one of the biggest things that I think you have to deal with in a master slave or any TPE relationship. You have to have a, a strong foundation of trust and communication. So that bond is very, very deep and, we balance it with the love bond. Although I will say there's more master slave bonding than there is affection bonding. But as of right now, slave is sitting next to me, shackled, locked up and has a head, head gag harness on as, as we're doing this interview. So th there's always that mastery over slave or that dominance over slave going on. As I said earlier, it just depends on to what degree that we're doing like after this interview we have errands to go run so slave will be let out and we'll go running around and do our errands and we have public protocol that has to be done but we don't do anything that's going to jeopardize uh, our well-being in public or make other people uncomfortable in public 
So, you know, we, you have to monitor a lot of different areas. Yeah, so, so it's, it's about keeping a balance between all of these, let's say, different constraints yes. or boundaries. Yes, and that, that's one of the hard parts. Yeah. And, find, and finding the balance right. that suits I mean, you. Sometimes slave has uh, periods that it, it, it just needs someone to talk to and someone to hold it and tell it it'll be okay. I think all humans have that need. Uh, sometimes, you know, if I've had a, a difficult experience going on, I need someone to hold me. And, you know, that's something that the slave is there for as well. And we just have to work around all of our other aspects to allow the space for that to occur, but without tipping the balance of the master-slave dynamic. Thank you so much for sharing that, as I think this is an incredibly important thing that a lot of people sometimes don't understand is that the the master also needs to right. be looked after and and the slave's there for that correct yeah so the slave is there for all my needs not just cleaning my boots doing my laundry cooking my dinner the slave is also there to take care of my emotional needs as well so you know if i need someone to talk to uh we've been together 16 years i know i can trust the slave and the slave knows it can trust me so we have a bond that I actually think is much stronger than a typical uh, air quotes, normal relationship because of all the situations that we get into during heavier play periods and everything else where so much trust is required for it to happen that uh, the trust aspect is just very, very important. And that bond is a bond that is, is very difficult to find. The only other time I have found a bond like that is when I used to rock climb and I would have a belayer who would control my rope from the bottom. And if I fell off of a climb, I knew they were going to catch me and I was going to be okay. Um, you know, you have that sense of putting your life in someone else's hands. So with the slave, we have that really deep bond because slave knows I may be brutal with it, or I may hug it, but it knows at the end of the day that its well-being is always in the background of my mind and behind any action that I perform on the slave. And you, you've mentioned trust quite quite a few times now. Um, could you kind of share what is trust in um, the the context of a master-slave relationship? What are the things you're you're, you're trusting each other for? Cause, cause yes, yes, it is. Um, trust in the master-slave relationship, first of all, is slave can trust me to push it where slave is wanting to go, but to do so safely and sanely and to um, – what's the word I'm looking for? Slave knows I'm going to push its limits, but it knows that it's not going to end up in the hospital. You know, there's that sense of trust that I can open up completely. I can give myself completely to this other man. And I know that it's he's going to look after my feelings and my well-being. I'm going to be uncomfortable for a while. I'm going to be in pain for a while. But these are things that as a slave, it enjoys and wants to experience. But it also knows that the period will end and I'm not going to leave it there to starve or you know, if it's ill, I'm going to take it to a doctor or anything like that. There's just a very strong sense of knowing that I'm there for that slave in all the aspects of its life and that it can trust me 
to the best of my ability to take care of those aspects. So that trust is very important. A lot of married couples have trust, but it's very conditional. In a master-slave relationship, especially with our contract, you know, you predefine the boundaries of your relationship. You write down what I'm wanting to do, what the slave is wanting, and you write out the protocols. And we spent months and months on, on our contracts to get them just right. And then during the period of that year, every year that we renew it, there are things that we will add to it, like new protocols. Because like I said, this is a journey. And we are trying right now, we are going deeper and deeper into the master-slave and pushing a little bit of the emotion off to the side. Um, we're getting older. And so we really want to try to get as intense as we possibly can with this relationship while we still can. But we still have to have that commonality at the end of the day that we can, you know, have a little hug and a little cuddle as well. So trust is extremely important. And um, whenever you talk about, about trust, and as you were speaking then, I, I was also thinking about this emotional trust. Like, for, for instance, in my last full-time relationship, I found myself opening up emotionally you know, letting go of my ego and then huge amounts of emotion would right. come out with that. Um, is, is this something that, that you have also found as well um, during this kind of 16 years as you go to these deeper levels that you're almost creating this space to allow for this, this unraveling of yes. emotion? Uh, <clears throat> I, I know when slaves headspace is really into slave headspace by its demeanor and the way it acts when it's hugging my boots and licking my boots and the words that it says and uh, how it's looking to me for that total dominance of its day-to-day -day existence, controlling it, molding it, taking care of it. Um, so uh, <clears throat> I, I do see that in the slave that the deeper we go, the more it, opens itself up and the more vulnerable it becomes. And that's actually the problem that the slave is having that we're working on is that feeling of complete vulnerability. It has a very high position where it works and the slave is actually in control of many, many people where it works. And sometimes it's interesting. Sometimes when the slave gets home, it still has that work attitude and I will have to correct it immediately. It's like you're at home, the work attitude has to go away. And it, it takes a little bit to shift from one gear to the next gear. But once I start, you know, dominating the slave with the restraints and the protocols and everything else, it immediately slips back into, you know, slave headspace. And from there, uh, we just start going deeper and deeper into the relationship of dominance and submission. And you've, you've mentioned this idea of, let's say, a journey. And you've kind of mentioned the idea of, let's say, trying to find the right balance, renewing the contract every year, or being able to open up and find trust. So haven't you found part of this journey like an experiment, figuring out what works and what doesn't? Through communication. We actually have a period, and I read this from a book, I think it was called Living Master and Slave. It was a, a straight master and a straight slave, a very informative book, very good book. And they talk about this thing called porch time and that we have in our relationship. And we found that to be of great benefit, <clears throat> excuse me, when we do that, 
we set aside a period slave can call for it or I can call for it. You know, it's like, Hey, I need some porch time. And when we do that, <clears throat> that period, there is no protocol whatsoever. Slave is completely allowed to say whatever it wants to say, although it has to be said respectfully and without attitude or temper, uh, <clears throat> it can say whatever it wants to say, you know, master, what you did, uh, scared me. I need more work on it, take it slower or master. I would like to try something like this, or I could say to the slave, uh, you know, you're doing something specifically that I'm not liking and we need to correct that. And how do you feel will work best for me to go about correcting that behavior in you? So we have this period where we talk to one another completely openly with no judgment whatsoever. And slave is not accountable for anything it says unless it says it, like I said, with attitude or with a temper or something like that, it, it has that freedom to speak to me 100% openly as I do to it during that period of porch time. And I found that to be of great value to our relationship. Cause you have to remember that we're not just, we don't just play for a day and then go our separate ways. This is our life. It is all day, every day. So, exerting that amount of control and giving that amount of submission on a day-to-day -day basis, it is a balancing act. There's a lot of things you have to balance because there will be some days that slave will work overtime. I will work overtime or one of us will be feeling, you know, run down and sick. And when you're doing that, you really can't pursue a lot of the master slave activities. You know, you can still be there as partners and support one another and take care of one another. But uh, like last week, Slave had to work 60 hours last week and Slave was just exhausted. So, uh, you know, he gets home at six in the morning. It'll sleep till three in the afternoon. So then we have from three o'clock in the afternoon till, till I go to bed around midnight uh, for that master slave to happen. But when Slave has worked a 60 hour week and is just absolutely exhausted, I, I don't tend to do a lot of extreme uh, dominance with the slave because I know that it needs that rest period and needs that recharge period. Now, like I said, I do whip my slave every day in some form with some, some implement or some tool to constantly keep that headspace going on. So even on those days, you know, slave gets, gets whipped. But there are periods where you have to stand back as a master and say, oh, you know, slaves really run down, slaves really tired. You know, I need to, to give it some space and I need to kick in and help out a little bit more so it can have some some time to to recharge. So so that's what we do. And in our relationship, you know, we own a home. But there's slave does most everything around the house. But in all honesty, slave cannot do everything around the house. So I do help out some, plus I'm a little anal. There are things that I prefer being done. If the floor is dirty, I want to clean it. Or if there's, you know, I'll clean up my mess in the kitchen before I go to bed. If slaves at work, I don't leave it for it to do in the morning. Sometimes I do, but not all the time. But again, it comes back to the balancing, you know, uh, recognizing what is going on and the other person that again comes to trust, trusting that I will recognize that the slave is having a difficult period and I need to adjust my dominance accordingly 
for that period of time until we can get back into sync and do more intensity. It's, it's, it's sort of a, an, an interesting contradiction that you as a master need to really almost have a high degree of empathy for where the slave is in order to then treat it as a slave. That's true. And I, I will tell you, I've had, a, I've had a couple of relationships in my life. They've all had a little bit of kink and S&M in them, um, some bondage and things like that. And I have, I have subbed before. I, and I found – I'm not saying that everybody has to do this. But personally, I find that when you have been on both sides of the slash, I feel it makes for a more rounded, better perspective. Because having sub for a person, I know what, or I have a good idea of what's going through the slave's head when I'm performing something on it. I know how certain positions are going to feel. I know how long I could handle them. And that helps me to realize what I can do with the slave and what it may be feeling and how far I can push its limits. I know that when it's moaning and groaning and it's starting to hurt, I'm like, okay, you know, we can probably go by another 10, 15 minutes or until slave starts begging, you know, to be released. Uh, you have to have some empathy. Otherwise you're, you're in an abusive relationship. You know, that's uh, some people want an abusive relationship. You know, they want that, you know, non consensual relationship, which personally I think is bullshit. I think there has to be some form of consent, or there always is something that somebody is going to have a limit with at some point. And you have to have a certain amount of empathy to recognize that. And, and, And it's also an empathy for where that person is because of what they're having to do in their work life as well. That. That, 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 that there isn't just a slave, but there's also a exactly. work persona. Exactly. Like when slave has uh, um, lots of meetings at work and has a lot of work demands placed on it with presentations and meetings and has a lot of work to do outside of work. I can't lock the slave up and say, you know, well, fuck that. You're going to deal with that when I'm ready for you to deal with that. That interferes with slave's work life. I can't do that. So I have to allow the slave that space to take care of, of the aspects of its life that I am not able to control. So again, empathy comes into that. There are times we will play with that a little bit though. And I know it's going to sound like a contradiction, but it's actually not. There are times when you can utilize that and force it into like a little mini scene and create that master slave tension um, for a brief period and you know, it can be a little exciting to know that you really need to do something for work and the master is holding you back from it for a period. It creates a little bit of anxiety in the slave, but it's not something that's going to go on for a long period of time that is actually going to affect the outcome of its project. Interesting. So so there is, there, there is this playfulness that you can have with, with these tensions as well against, let's say, the real life. Right. Well, you know, in the end, the whole master-slave relationship is any relationship. You have to enjoy it. You have to find pleasure in it. Um, And I think there needs to be a little bit of playfulness in there as well, too, sometimes. I I will not play with a slave when I'm angry. Uh, When I'm angry, I I don't focus. I don't have the ability to uh, direct myself and the manner that a master would direct one, you know, direct himself. 
So when I'm angry, I, I, I set that aside and we do not play when I'm angry. We've done it once before. And when you're whipping somebody really hard with the belt and you're pissed off, you're not really focused with aim. And this is uh, something that listeners may want to pay attention to. You know, it, it's really fun to have a slave and you take a belt and you just whip the crap out of it, you know, all over its body. But there are certain areas on the body that you have to stay away from when you're hitting. And when I'm angry, I do not have that focus, nor do I have that concern. So I have found it's best just not to play when angry. I mean, one of the um, principles I've always thought a master has, and one of the costs a master has, is that they've always got to be in control. That that because yes. they've decided they're in control, they can never lose it. And that's actually... There, there is a cost there that there are times you would like to or when you're angry therefore you cannot do something right well even masters even though they're in control all the time that's what i was talking about recharging and refreshing a master will need space to let go of that control for a brief period of time you know you, you can't drive 100 miles an hour down the road and not expect to pull over for gas sometime so being a master and a slave is the same thing. You cannot go at high gear constantly without stopping for a little bit. Um, not when you're living the lifestyle. If it was a two or three day uh, scene, no problem. But when that scene's over and you're living together, you still have to live together. If we play very intensely for you know an afternoon, then when that is over with, I'm not going to continue that intensity with the slave because we just played very intensely. Uh, so, you know, slave will still be bound, but it'll have a little bit more relaxation. You know, I may allow it to sit on the furniture and, and relax a little bit, or, you know, I'll take the head harness off or the muzzle or the hood, but the slave will stay with its wrist restraints on. The slave always has ankle, ankle restraints and wrist restraints on at all times uh, when, when home. Uh, First of all, it keeps the slave in his headspace. Second of all, at any time I can pick, I can take the slave into a room and tie it down or string it up or do whatever I want to do. So slave is always ready for whatever I want to do or whatever I feel I need to do. But at the end of a heavy play scene, you have to have, uh, you know, that aftercare to a certain degree. And, you know, they talk about uh, subs, you know, they hit subspace and then they have sub drop. Uh, I've read some interesting articles where they talk that dominants also have a dom drop as well. You know, at the end of a heavy scene, when you're when you're being very demanding and very controlling, and and you're exerting all this energy, and then when it's over, you know, the dom experiences a drop as well sometimes. So that aftercare, I think, is important to both parties. And when you can trust one another to relax around each other enough, and enjoy that calm time without the intensity going on it allows all the more for the next level of intensity to occur again as we start this new year it's a perfect time to explore and deepen your understanding of the master slave dynamic and find the right master or slave for you as an international executive coach, along with my years of experience in the master slave lifestyle, I can help guide and support you on your next steps with the master slave lifestyle. I have a process that allows you to build confidence in all areas of your life and to discover what you really want from this lifestyle. Have you ever fantasized about being someone's object? 
a dog bowl with your name on it, or a slave to serve your every whim, and to have someone that connects to you in a way that you cannot with anyone else. Perhaps this is the year to do that. I've helped many masters and slaves move forward. Guy Baldwin says he considers Phil a world-class authority regarding master-slave and power-dynamic relationships. Cuffboy says slave Phil is the guide you want on your journey. Foot Soldier said that he's now going out on the fetish scene and making friends and raging times to visit and serve masters thanks to Phil's coaching. And Master M says his dominant side was there all along and now that he knows this, there's no going back for him. I have two places open for coaching this month, so if you're interested, hit reply and get in touch. Whether you're looking for your first steps or you're an established person in the scene or in an existing relationship, I can help. Find out more at masterslavelifestyle.com slash coaching. Going, going back to when you were talking about being angry, uh, I mean, it's part of the human condition that we can all be triggered by someone saying something. So, for, for instance, when we have this porch space or the um, free space, have you found yourself in the right. past getting triggered or angry about something? And how have you dealt with that in order to still create that trustful space? Mm. Yes. I, I'm slow to anger, but when I get angry, I get very angry. Um, there, There's in our contract, we, we've never been very promiscuous as a couple. We've just started doing that recently, playing around and then the coronavirus came in and everything else. We actually started out in a triad, the, the two of us. And so there were three of us involved in this relationship for seven years and the triad didn't work out and it became just me and the slave. Um, but uh, because of that, we didn't really have a need to do a lot of playing around on the outside. But once we got out of the triad and moved, uh, you know, sold our home and moved into the city, we had a period of readjustment. You know, we needed a period to heal and to find out, you know, who we were as just master and slave without another party involved as well. So we had some readjusting to do on that area. But uh, in doing that, it also gave us the space to really pursue it at a much higher level of intensity without the concerns of another person. So as that was going on, we started to decide that, uh, you know, we do want to start incorporating other people into our play space and having other people come over. And my slave has some jealousy issues with that. And that even though it's in the contract, even though when I would play with another person, whether it be a boy or a sub or a slave, um, there were certain issues of jealousy that we have to work through. And uh, that's the one area where I got upset with Slave was because Slave got emotionally wounded when I had played around with somebody and I got upset. And that's when I wasn't being a very good master at that time. I got upset because it's like, look, it's in the contract. You agreed to this and you need to just back off and be the slave that you're supposed to be. I wasn't taking into account the emotional needs of the slave at that time. So due to childhood instances that I won't go into, slave has that issue of, of jealousy. And we're, that's something we're working through on a continuous basis. Unfortunately, coronavirus has stopped a lot of that. We, we do a lot of threesomes. 
But when it comes to one-on-one playing, that's the area that we have to work on. And that's where I get angry with the slave is uh, when the slave gets a little too jealous of a situation. Other than that, then my slave is a very good slave, very loyal, very much uh, a slave heart, serves without question, uh, does everything I expect of it. Uh, you know, it's a very good slave, but we do have that that one issue. And I, I think it's good um, for the listeners to know that, that even after 16 years, there can be, you know, issues that are being worked on. That, that there isn't this kind of point that you sort it all out and then it's the honeymoon period forever, that there is this constant cycle. Right. Well, I'm realizing being together 16 years, you know, keeping things fresh, you know, with each other and still having sex with one another and playing with one another, you know, keeping that fresh after 16 years can be a challenge. So, um, when one does decide that they want to branch out and start, you know, playing with other people, there will be that feeling of jealousy because I'm sharing a part of myself with somebody else that I'm not sharing with the slave. So, and I, I also give the slave permission to play around if it wants to, it has to ask first. I, and I've had, uh, I've had a bear daddy or two come over and play with a slave when I was at work. Uh, but slaves really not that much into playing solo. Slaves more into worshiping and serving me and enjoys threesomes. And slave also has a, a dominant streak. It likes to dominate other people sometimes. So sometimes we'll play with somebody and I'll, you know, I'll be the master, but I'll allow the slave some reign to do a little dominating of the other person as well. So, um, you know, that's an, an aspect of our lives that we're, we're working on. Every other aspect is pretty much spelled out in the contract. And that's what is <clears throat> one of the reasons why I think a contract is so important because first of all, you're, you're mapping out the expectations of what your relationship is going to be from the very beginning. And, you get to touch on the core feelings that each person has, how you want to deal with them, what is expected of each other, and you have it in writing. <clears throat> and in doing that, it really allows you to focus on, you know, do I really want this? Do I really want to be whipped if I don't call him master? You know, do I want to be tied up and left in a cage overnight just to amuse and satisfy you know, the master, you know, so it really makes both parties delve deeply into what it is they're wanting and expecting from the relationship on a realistic basis. And in having that roadmap, it creates a relationship that has very few problems uh, because everything has already been addressed prior to that. I know my place, slave knows its place. If slave gets out of place, there's repercussions. Unless it's one of those situations that requires empathy and I need to listen. Uh, but other than that, we have very few problems in this relationship because everything has been predefined. And what has not been predefined, we have that porch time to discuss it and we can incorporate it into our contract. It's a living contract. Uh, we can incorporate it into that contract. 
and then it becomes a new protocol that needs to be adhered to. So Slave has a lot of protocols to follow. I'm very surprised they can remember <laughs> most of them. So, uh, but uh, he, he does a good job with it. And, and um, just to kind of double check, when you're kind of setting the um, contract up or change changing it both of you are able to say things that you want it's not just you and the master defining this it's it's, it's both of you isn't it it yes slave it is both of us um because both of us are in this relationship you know a lot of people talk about a relationship of consensual non-consent um and that's something that we play with a little bit but in the end there's always a form of consent involved uh, you know, like people that like to be humiliated and debased, such as my slave. Uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff you can do to humiliate and debase a slave, but there's always some things that you need to steer clear of that could create psychological issues. Um, like, say, for instance, my slave is not, and not that there's a problem if someone is overweight, but if someone was very overweight as a child and was teased, when you create a scene and you play around that, some people will want you to tease them like they were teased as a child about being overweight and calling them names and, and everything like that, because for them, that's a, a cathartic experience. Other people, on the other hand, you know, they say, you know, you can do anything you want. And then you start calling them names about being overweight or anything like that. And then they freak out and shut down. And when the scene's over, it's like you've got issues to deal with. So I do not really believe in non-consent consent. Uh, I, I, I think everybody has certain areas that they just don't want to deal with in a master and slave relationship. And it creates psychological and emotional issues when you get into certain areas that they may or may not even know that they have. So that's where the communication comes in is to find out what's a safe path for the master to travel when doing devaluation play, humiliation play. What's, what's the, the path for that that will take the slave to where they can truly let go into that space. But then again, when it's over, they still have to know that you care about them and value them as a person, you know? So <clears throat> it's that balancing act that we've been talking about. It's, it's strange. Cause I, I have a very similar um, view there that this idea of humiliation and debasement, I can actually find quite empowering because it brings out my um, slave self. Right. But I have had kind of like someone, um, you know, at, at one point actually say something about a very toxic part of my past and that it hurt it right. hurt the very core of of my being and it closed me down completely you know right. and they what what they were doing was trying to humiliate me and bring my slave self out but instead my slave self kind of withdrew completely because it was so scared and frightened about what might happen next exactly you lost yeah. trust in a person so, 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 so um, I, I think finding the right approach and where those boundaries are is something that's incredibly important to do it in a in a healthy fashion. 
<clears throat> and that, yes, that, that's true, slave. The, the whole point of the master-slave relationship is for both parties to be satisfied. <clears throat> you know, a lot of people do want a relationship that's based more on abuse. You know, you see a lot of photos on the, the web, you know, on Twitter and the BDSMLR. You know, you see people that are, you know, wrapped in a sleep bag and put into a coffin and then put into the basement and left there for a day or two. <clears throat> and then people think, wow, you know, that's, that's slave life. And it's like, you know, some people want that and they want it 24 seven. But fantasy has to be tempered with reality. You know, you can do that for a certain period of time. You can't do it for a long period of time. And tempering those activities, that's, you gauge that through the communication and through when you play, each time you push limits, you know where where you can go and how far you can push. You know, you can say, well, you know, the slave liked being mummified, but after two or three hours uh, was getting claustrophobic and was having anxiety attacks, I had to let it out. So then, you know, the next time you play, well, you know, maybe we'll, you know, we'll leave the hood off and we'll try to go for five or six hours. So you manipulate and adjust the situation to work with whatever situations arise during that, that space and allow each other still the enjoyment of those types of scenes. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you, sir. Um, moving on to a, a different set of questions. So um, what, if anything, would you like to see in the master-slave community? You know, that, uh, that goes right back to what we were talking about right there. Um, you know, all the blogs I read and the people that I follow online and people that I talk to in person, <coughs> excuse me, it's allergy season here in Arizona. Oh, I'm so sorry um, for that. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The people that I talk to uh, in person, um, a lot of people like to think that your form of dominance and submission is, is too extreme. Or your form of dominance and submission isn't like ours, so therefore it's not valid. Um, I disagree with that wholeheartedly. I think that a master and slave relationship is defined by the couple involved. And as long as one person is willing to give their power to, what other ex to whatever extent, and you have another person willing to accept that power to whatever extent, you have a master-slave relationship or a TPE relationship. It... it it disheartens me when I hear people say so-and-so's relationship isn't valid because they don't do this, or, you know, they're not really a master and slave relationship because I've seen them kiss in public. And, and I, I disagree with that. Um, TPE relationships are as diverse as the people that are involved. And I think we need to embrace all forms of those relationships. Like with the, what is those movies that were out? Uh, shades, 50 shades oh, yeah. of gray. We we watched, I don't know, I guess about an hour of one of them. We kind of chuckled at it. It's like, seriously? <laughs> that's that's a, and and that's what I'm talking about. It's like even with even within my own mindset, you know, here we're watching a movie and we're going, that's not really how I envision master and slave. But it doesn't mean that they're not playing that. It doesn't mean that they're not involved in it and that they're not doing it. They're just doing it to a different degree 
than what we do it. And there are people who do it to a much higher degree than what we do it. And that's, it just depends on the couple involved and the communication and the boundaries that they've set in place. That's what I would like to see is less judgment of other people um, and defining their relationship as valid or not valid because of their level of intensity. Very well said. Thank you, sir. And mm. um, for you, what makes a good master? Uh, that is uh, a good one. I actually know when you asked me that, I really had to think about that a lot. Um, and the more I thought about it, it, it was just things were actually quite simple. First and foremost is confidence. Uh, you have to be confident in your ability and that in your responsibilities. And when you first start out, confidence is for a lot of people is a little bit on the lower side, but as you continue playing and exploring and experimenting, that confidence builds and builds and builds. Uh, anybody can bark orders. You know, I can tell the slave, you know, go get me a butt plug. I'm going to plug your ass and you're going to vacuum the house. Anybody can do that. But having the confidence to where the slave wants to do that for me, because I am the confident person that is exerting that control is a totally different story. So it's not so much that it's an order as it is, is that the slave is desiring to do that for me. And I think that definitely comes from a place of confidence and then also accepting responsibility, I think is a huge, huge thing. You know, if a scene goes wrong or, you know, if I fuck up, you know, I admit I impact play is one of my favorite things. I love impact play. Um, and I don't know anybody who hasn't on occasion struck an area that they weren't supposed to strike. And, uh, you know, if you do something like that, you have to accept the responsibility that, Hey, you know, I need to work on that skill set with that particular implement a little bit better, uh, to get my strike zones down a little bit better. So I think a master needs to be able to admit when they're wrong and they need to face it and, and learn and grow from it. And I also think a master needs to be able to communicate without judgment. Like I said, when we have that porch time, I need to allow the slave to express whatever it needs to express to me without fear of retribution or punishment during that specific period of time. And that also increases, increases the level of trust within the relationship. And one thing I think that also might be missing in the master slave community, as well as what makes a good master is I think that the master really needs to respect the slave for the gift of servitude. People look at slaves as not all, but not within the bondage community, but you know, the people that do the dress up leather, that the leather is a fetish. And then the people who are on the outside looking in, they look at it as a slave is somebody who is weak or has no will of their own. Have, you know, they have no ability to do anything. They're, <clears throat> you know, they have to have somebody tell them what to do all the time. And I find that to be totally untrue. I think a master really needs to respect the slave for the gift of the servitude because it takes incredible strength and fortitude. First of all, for a slave to accept the fact that its fulfillment comes in serving another man, it takes his pleasure from serving another man and simply having the strength to endure what that other man or woman is putting them through 
a, a slave is a very strong person. And I really think that the master needs to respect the slave for that. And sometimes I, I don't really see that. Uh, we'll play when we play I'll, I'll when we do devaluation and stuff, you know, of course I'll call the slave, you know, pathetic, you're a worthless piece of shit. And you know, you're only here to serve, you know, serve me and your existence is to serve me. Um, and we'll play with that and we'll, we'll, we'll play that pretty heavily, but deep down inside, I know that my slave knows that I respect it gratefully for giving that to me. You can demand something all you want from somebody. It doesn't mean you're going to get it, but when you have somebody that you know is going to give it to you, that's the gift is they're giving it to you because they want to. So you, you can't be a master or a dominant unless you have a willing participant. So I have a great deal of respect for my slave. And the other thing, and this is, I don't want to admit this in public, but for the sake of those on this path or seeking to go on this path is consistency. Consistency has always been my flaw because I'm on my feet 10, 12 hours a day. I get home from work and sometimes I'm really tired, but while I'm at work, I'll message the slave and say, you know, you better do this. Or when I get home, I'm going to, you know, beat your ass. Well, you get home and it's not done. And it's like, Oh, I'm tired. I don't want to do it. You know? Well, if you say you're going to do something, you better do it because when you're not following through with what you say, each time you do that, it chips away at the trust of your relationship. So a master must maintain consistency in all areas over, you know, when it is in a master slave relationship. So I, those are things I find important as well as, you know, you have to continue to seek growth and development. There's so, so much out there. I study, I'm studying Shibari right now. And the more I learn, it's like, man, there is so much more. I need to learn. And then you start getting into sound play, electric play, impact play, you know, humiliation play. There's so many different aspects of kink out there that people enjoy. Um, you constantly have to be learning about these kinds of things so that you have these tools in your toolbox for when you do play or when you want to use them. So those are all things I find very important as well as being able to listen. You know, I find that very important. At one point during this, you were talking about a master should, you know, be able to listen to the slave without judgment, or it's okay to experiment and make mistakes. If someone's struggling to do that, if they're worried about what people might think, is there any advice you would um, give them? That slave is something that we do deal with. Within our circle of friends, and even, well, you, you follow me on Twitter, you know, um, there are some people who say we're too extreme. I, I posted a post where I was uh, whipping the slave and I had its nose, nose ring chained up. And I got a private message from somebody saying uh, that was ugly and very brutal. I can't believe you do that to another person. Oh, wow. But what they didn't, yeah, but what they didn't realize is that uh, that was actually something that the slave had talked to me about during a porch time. It was a scene that the slave thought would be fun to try. So that was actually a suggestion from my slave from 
some period in the past that I had done because it was something that had expressed a desire in doing. So I listened to my slave. Now it may say it wants to try something. Doesn't mean I'm going to do it this week, this month, or this year, but it will, I will do it. It just doesn't know when I'm going to do it. Um, so we actually experience a lot of side views from people because we're considered too extreme by a lot of people. Um, and so it, it gets hard, uh, with one another, it's very different. Uh, that's where our communication comes in. A lot of people have really deep, dark fantasies and they will not discuss them with their partner. And I think that that's a shame, first of all, because they don't have enough trust in one another to communicate those. They feel that they're going to be judged. So they don't express their desires and that's why I was talking about how essential trust is not just that you can trust that I'm going to beat you without breaking a bone, but you need to know that you can trust me, that you can talk to me about a specific fantasy or something dark that you're wanting to do and know that I'm not going to laugh at you or judge you and say, hell no, we're not going to do that. You're fucking crazy. Um, so we always allow for, for that within our own relationship so that there is no feelings of guilt um, now in general, in public, most of the people in public don't need to know your business unless you want them to know it. Anyways, we do have some forms of protocol in public, like when we're at a restaurant, which we haven't been to since March, but when you're in a restaurant, uh, slave has to wait for me to sit down before it can sit down. Um, I order first or I order for the slave. Um, slave is always to open the doors for me. Uh, these are just little things that we do in public and like slave is not allowed to take a bite of his food until I start eating. These are not things that other people are going to look at and go, oh, wow, what are they doing? That's crazy. You know, or those people are fucked up. <clears throat> They're going to just pay it no mind. But to us, my slave is reacting to my dominance over it and showing me its servitude by following those protocols in public. So even though we're in public, that element of master and slave is still taking place. It's just not visible to other people. So my advice <clears throat> to other people who are worried about what people are going to think is if you're with somebody that you can't trust enough to tell you, tell them what you're thinking, you might need to reevaluate your relationship or you might need to sit down and have a serious heart to heart and not worry about it. And then when <clears throat> once that discussion has taken place, then you can reevaluate your situation. But if the slave's needs are not being met as a slave and the master's needs are not being met as a master, <clears throat> it's usually either that one wants something more extreme than the other, or one is too embarrassed to try something, or there is a lack of communication. So, if you're embarrassed to try something, discuss with your dom or your sub that, hey, look, there's something I've been wanting to try. It's a little out there. And, you know, I kind of want to talk to you about it and see how you feel about it. And from there, you can take that into a productive conversation. And we're coming up at time, but kind of one final question. And I, I, I'd like to link this to something you said um, a little while before, because um, I had such an emotional reaction to it. And it's kind of what makes a good slave. But 
could you also explain what what you meant when you said a wholehearted slave? Uh, a wholehearted slave. <clears throat> uh, all right, I'll, I'll give an example. Look back when I had subbed a few times, uh, letting somebody tie me down and spank my butt, that was one thing. But having them want to call them uh, master, that, that's not going to happen. Or, uh, you know, once we're outside of the play space, them still wanting to have control over me, that's not going to happen. You know, I don't have the heart for that. It was something I wanted to experiment with and I did. And that was that. My slave, on the other hand, is somebody that in the playroom, outside of the playroom, knows it's a slave. It has a slave heart. It has a desire to serve. It has always had a desire to serve. So when I say wholeheartedly, that is what I'm referring to. And that's one of the issues that my slave has as well, is worried about me losing respect for it as we go deeper and deeper into our master-slave dynamic. And as we are pushing those limits further and further, again, it just continues to build the trust, which strengthens our bond as a master and slave. So... Um, that's what I meant by wholeheartedly. The slave is willing to give itself completely to another person without fear of, of uh, being ridiculed or anything of that like nature. You know, allowing the space for the slave to express itself fully and completely. Thank you so much for saying that, sir. Um, is there anything else you'd like to say before I close? Is there anything that I've missed out that you'd like to speak about, sir? Um, not really a slave. I think we've covered a lot of it. Um, but the one thing is, you know, a master slave relationship, uh, there should be some fun to it. You know, of course there's going to be that power and you get addicted to that power of controlling another person and you get off on them waiting at the door for you when you get home to greet you. <clears throat> you know, that's, uh, that's very erotic knowing that, you have the power to control another person and it brings a lot of enjoyment to that. But I think that there should always be a little bit of play involved. Sometimes when the slave and I play, it's not always extreme. It's not always pain play. It's not always pushing the limits or the boundaries. Sometimes it's just pleasure play, you know, just to enjoy its body and for me to work on some things that I need to work on and, a chance for the slave to just relax and enjoy what I'm doing. It's not always about the pain and the dominance. Sometimes it's just to relax and experience some pleasure every once in a while. <clears throat> so I think people need to allow for all facets of their relationship to bloom, prioritize the aspects that you need to prioritize in your relationship, but allow the space for the other act, the other aspects to breathe as well. I think that's just very important. Thank you so much, sir. And thank you so much. You're welcome, Slave. Thank you so much for taking this time to um, speak with me. Uh, my pleasure, Slave. It was, a, it was enjoyable. Thank you. If you would like to be interviewed by me, or you know someone who would, you can get in touch with me through the email contact at massaslavelifestyle.com. If you're interested in finding more about the 24-7 TPE lifestyle, you can also go to my website for lots of information, and that's at www.massaslavelifestyle.com. Thank you.